Well, hello, everyone. This is Ryan Pitts. And this is Mitchell Prasis. And this is the Hustler Nation. All right, everybody. We've got a very special guest with us today, Mike Weinberg. Uh, Mike is the author of New Sales Simplified, which was a number one Amazon bestseller. He's also recently published another book called Sales Management Simplified. Mike, thanks for joining us on the call. Oh, it's awesome to be with you and all of our hustler friends out there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, cool. Well, um, I guess to, to start this, this session off, the first thing we wanted to ask you is when we, when we asked you to do the interview, a lot of people kind of think about, well, what is the hustler nation? And what is, you know, when you're using the word hustler, what do you think of? So our, our, for our first question for you is when you hear the word hustler, what do you think of? Mm. All out effort and intensity and someone that just gets it, that they have to make it happen, and that sitting on your butt is not how to make something happen. Um, you know, especially in the world that I'm playing in with uh, sales executives and salespeople in, in the environment, that, that especially in today's economy, if you're not hustling, you're not winning. So, uh, so all that stuff combined, I think, is what I think of hustle. Okay, great. You know, it's interesting yeah. you say that because sometimes people have a negative connotation uh, associated with the word, they also, I think, have some negative connotations um, when it comes to uh, sales and salespeople in general. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, it, in my mind, it's, it's it's almost the word has two distinct meanings. You know, you can be hustled. You know, and what's what's so awkward is you know uh, what was what was uh, Pete Rose's nickname, right? Mister Hustle, right? Charlie Hustle, and we would love <laughs> watching that guy play. And I, I mean, I still, as a kid. Because he was, you know, a star during my, during my youth, the image of him, you know, running or stretching a double into a triple and diving headfirst, you know, into a base. Like, well, that was hustle, you know, and then it turns out he ends up being a gambler and he was doing his own hustling. Mm -hmm. So it kind of had both, you know, uses of the word. I, I get very offended um, when I, I hear people demean the sales profession and try to paint with a really broad brush that if you're in sales, you must have an integrity issue or you're trying to convince someone to buy something they don't need. I think that's, right. that's horrendous. And I, you know, I have a lot of clients in the, in the consulting space or the money management space. And part of the coaching I have to do with them is getting them over the hump of seeing sales as dirty. Because if you're, if, I mean, if you're really a professional and you really believe you can help your client or your customer win, then your motivation is totally pure. If you're trying to pursue their business, because if you think you can bring them, if you can bring them the most value you should be hustling to get their business and hustling on the positive mm -hmm. sense, you know, putting the energy out there and making it happen. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think, you know, how, how do you maintain that kind of positive motivation? You know, that I'm actually doing this to, to help people. Um, you know, I think, I think just being in sales, it, it can, it can become very jaded. People can become very jaded and then start to question, um, you know, whether what they're doing is, is good, you know, for good. Um, so kind of how do you maintain that? Well, that's a great question. I, you know, if you're working for a high-integrity organization and you know that the, the, the service or the solution or the product that you're selling delivers value and it improves the life or the business of the people that you're, you're pursuing, then it's not hard to keep that as your front and center as your attitude. And if you're a money manager and you believe that your, your approach to portfolio management and the way you interact with clients and your philosophies 
are going to protect people's downside or give them a better future or help them have the life they want or create the estate they want to leave to their, you know, to their heirs, then uh, how hard would it be to, to think, I need to pursue this? In fact, one of the guys that's had a big influence on me, his name is Alan Weiss. He's, a, he's just a guru in the consulting world. And I was just listening to one of his podcasts yesterday while I was taking a walk. And he said, if you know you bring value to the marketplace, you are remiss, almost from a, a spiritual perspective. You're being a bad steward of the gifts you've been given if you don't go pursue that business and try to help as many people as you can help. I think if that's your mindset, man, think, first of all, you're selling from an abundance mentality. And you also, mm-hmm. you're not doing it from, you know, yes, we want to make money. And that's when that money and, and winning is definitely the scorecard in sales. But if you, if you keep front and center that you, my dad taught me this, your job in sales is to help the customer win. And if that's the mindset, my gosh, how could you ever fail? Mm-hmm. That's wow. tremendous, Mike. Uh, let me ask you this about, let me shift gears maybe with the, this conversation and say, okay, so we're, we're on board with that. Um, and how do we get, well, first of all, how do we cultivate hustle or can you cultivate hustle in, in terms of with a team, with an individual, um, what are your thoughts on, on doing that and, and getting the most out of someone? Uh, cultivating hustle for individuals and teams. Let me start with um, the reality of, of sales. And, and this is one of the unique jobs where you have to have your heart engaged. I'm, I'm fond of saying in sales, you got to want to. And culture really matters and heart engagement really matters. And one of my mentors always taught me that you know, sales management is kind of the fine art where you're balancing kicking the ass and encouraging the heart. You want to create hustle, you kick the ass, and you encourage the heart. And there's a lot of ways I think you can do that in, in, a, in a sales team environment or even if it was just a one salesperson environment. Uh, one of those ways is great one-on-one meetings where you're reviewing results and you're challenging and you're, and you're digging in and you're, you're letting the salesperson know that we are paying attention. We are looking at the standings. We are competitive. Where are you at against results? You know, where are your results against goal? And then, you know, result is kind of a backwards-looking thing. Hey, what did you sell last month or what have you sold so far this year? But then to keep them hustling, we look at the pipeline. Okay, sales results is yesterday. Let's look in your pipeline and show me what sales we're going to have tomorrow. So you want to keep the heart and the head engaged, one, ramp up accountability, but without being a micromanager. So make sure you're, you're, you're focusing on results before you focus on activity. You want to create hustle? I'll give you one. This is the big chapter in my, in my new book on sales management. Compensation. You know, compensation and complacency start with the same four letters. Just think about that and let that sink in. Compensation and complacency, right, start with the same word. And very often when I look at a sales organization and I hear people complaining the salespeople are complacent and they have all these excuses about bad parenting and millennials and the on and on, I say, let me see your comp plan. And I find out that the comp plan pays the same amount to top producers as bottom producers or the same commission rate for uh, babysitting accounts we sold years ago for reselling the same people over and over as it pays the same commission for doing the hard work of bringing in a new client. So if we got complacency, you know, it's very likely it's in the comp plan. So if hustle's the goal, we've got to keep the heart engaged. We've got to keep them pumped up. We need to meet one-on-one. We've got to have great accountability. But my goodness, don't overlook the comp plan because most salespeople are not only very competitive, 
but they're also money-driven, and that's part of how they keep score. It's ironic because complaining and competitive also have the same first four letters. <laughs> You're good. Wow. Okay. That, that caused yeah. me to pause right there. That's good, but there's a lot of comp, huh? Yeah. Interesting. I think I think there's a blog post or a chapter brewing from what you just said. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'll, I'll let I'll let you take the reins on that, Mike. Uh, you 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 can have the credit for that one. All right. Well, but, thanks. Uh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, well, Mike, I, I I love what you have to say about um, hustling and you know the the stereotypes with with hustlers and I guess salespeople more specifically. Um, you know, what's a time in your life that, you know, you were really hustling and you were confident to call yourself a hustler, you know, like you had earned that title and you looked back and you said, yeah, I, I really hustled, hustled for that. Hmm. Wow. I could, I could go back a couple different places from, you know, being in the business fraternity in college to even my, my, uh, was my second or my third real job out of college. It was the first time I was really in new business sales and a little tiny company I worked for went to work for a, a college friend I quit my big secure job and I we were trying to do something great together and uh, we had kind of I was like in charge of sales for most of the country and we had tapped out the current market we were selling a product to and we decided if we're really going to grow this thing we got to go penetrate new markets with this this plastic we were manufacturing and I'm telling you from scratch we hustled and I mean it was everything from figuring out what industry to pursue to go into trade shows and just trolling the aisles, looking for people that manufactured stuff that could use our product and writing down their names mm -hmm. and taking their literature and, you know, real kind of uh, almost like a, like a spy, a little espionage, figuring out where am I going to go? And we took this little tiny business that had never sold into this particular industry and we did all this reconnaissance. And then I went like a madman, sending letters, calling people, putting out samples uh, getting on planes, and before I knew it, I was going to Nogales, Mexico, to a, a Panasonic, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Samsonite uh, luggage manufacturing uh, company doing sample tests, and I was out meeting with Wayne Gregory of Gregory Backpacks out in Southern California, and before wow. I knew it, pallets and pallets of my plastics were shipping into these uh, this brand-new industry into brand-new customers from nothing. And if you think about hustle, and I use that as an example because – when everyone wants to tell me, oh, prospecting doesn't work today and we should sit on our butts and wait for a lead, and I'll, I'll circle back to that in regard to hustle in a minute, um, those mm -hmm. are lies. You know, you can create a lot by just hustle and energy and being strategic. And that story back way early in my career is a great reminder to me that you can go create something out of nothing if, you, if you're smart and you work really hard. Wow. So, Mike, when – so – what do you think has changed or has ha, have things changed? Obviously, you know, technology and maybe perhaps some of the methodology. What is What are the obstacles that are muddying the water maybe for sales organizations and for sales teams that, you know, oh, I'm going to get a lead that's going to come to me? What What are the challenges there? Okay, I love you for asking that question and prepare for me to start screaming. <laughs> um, the biggest challenge we have today is that we have absolute idiots and charlatans in the sales improvement business writing dangerous lies and dispensing Kool-Aid that, that everyone wants to, to hear and to drink. There is an entire industry full of idiots telling salespeople today that prospecting doesn't work and what in today's world you need permission and it's not about selling, it's about serving 
And if you just sit there and play in LinkedIn groups and, and fish around on Twitter and write a lot of blog posts, when the customer's ready, when, and, and, and the stat they quote, and they use all these studies to quote, when the customer is two-thirds through their buying process and they're ready to engage a salesperson, then you can go ahead and call them and then you can go and engage with them. And that is the deadliest advice that's ever been preached to salespeople. And it's particularly dangerous because it's exactly what the lazy, reactive salesperson who doesn't want to prospect, who doesn't want to try to create new relationships on his own and is just waiting for a lead. That's exactly what he wants to hear. So when you tell that guy, you've got to be proactive. You've got to pick out dream clients. You've got to target them. Go get in front of them before they're shopping, which is what all top producing salespeople do. The, the lazy guy says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't work anymore. Let me show you all these articles that say today's buyers two-thirds through the buying process. So the biggest obstacle we're up against is the morons today telling everybody that everything in sales has changed. And I get a lot has changed, and the Internet has, is very disruptive. A lot of it in a good way. We can connect, and we can learn a lot, and we can do a lot of pre-research and, and even build relationships online with people before maybe we have a sales call. And that's all great. But everything hasn't changed. And I will tell you that when I go into companies, the, the guys that are still killing it are the ones who are not waiting for the buyer to get two-thirds through the buying process. We're targeting them because they look, smell, and feel like our best customers, and we want to get in front of them before they're shopping. So we're in the consultant's chair, so we can create value, right? So we can shape their buying criteria and not just have to show up last of the party and sell on features and price and end up getting commoditized. And I mean, that was a long answer, but I'm telling you, that may be the biggest issue in sales today. That was super powerful. helpful. Yeah, that's powerful yeah. stuff. For, for any, anyone listening to this, this podcast, that's powerful advice. There's longstanding. Being proactive in targeting these accounts is, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we feel that at our company, um, and, and it goes in line with, obviously, the idea of, Hey, if you're bringing value, you have an obligation to go out and to, and to reach out to these folks because, it, you know, you truly believe in your heart of hearts that you can help them and that you're bringing value, even if they choose not to do business with you or not. Just the fact that they're having this conversation is a productive conversation. Yeah, I think in many cases, right, Ryan, that's the that's the job of a salesperson, not sitting around waiting for someone to serve up a beautifully warm, qualified lead of someone with money in hand who's ready to buy something. If that we wouldn't need salespeople if that was the case. We're supposed to go out. That's the hustle right. part, and that's why the deadly preaching. That's it's it's the antithesis. It's anti-hustle. Sitting mm-hmm. on your butt waiting for someone to come say, "I want to buy something." What what do I need a high-paid salesperson for? So absolutely, I'm I'm with you 100. percent So, so just to be a, a little devil's advocate, you know, let's say I'm I'm that lazy, reactive salesperson. I I think a you know, hearing that a common follow-up question would be, okay, I, okay, I'm getting you, you know, prospecting, being aggressive, being proactive, um, you know, what, what's the line in the sand to where we, we say, okay, we're going to stop pursuing this. I, I think this is a question a lot of people have on their mind, you know, how long, or is there a line in the sand? I mean, how long do you go, you know, trying to get someone, you know, through your pipeline until you know you you almost call it quits or or is there no point in the sand oh that's a biggie that, first of all thanks for asking it because that, that's a complex question we could probably take a whole day and tackle that um <laughs> you know i don't know that there's one answer um I, I will tell you in general most salespeople give up too soon early in the sales process 
um, they pre-qualify, you know, too quickly, um, and they're not having enough meetings. Um, and I don't know, you guys probably have this in your own experience when people are trying to sell you. I have it all the time because my name is out there on all these lists. And I'm, I, I cannot okay. tell you how many times I get one voicemail or one email from someone who's trying to sell me something. One. And, you know, I'm in this business, so obviously I'm, 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 I'm rating voicemails and I'm seeing who's intriguing me and, you know, who's got compelling reasons. And, I mean, it, it may be less than 15% than of the people make a second attempt. Well, right there, I mean, so if 85% of the salespeople are quitting after one attempt, that's pretty lame, right? I mean, I would say okay. if, it's, if it's early top-of-the-funnel stuff and we're prospecting, it takes seven, eight, nine attempts, you know, over some finite period of time to get noticed. And most prospecting works um, not because of luck that you happen to call the person on the right day that they have a need that you can satisfy. You know, you call them the day something broke and you have the solution. That's, that's pretty rare and pretty lucky, frankly. Normally, we earn the, the conversation or the discovery meeting through persistence and creativity. And it's the, it's the seller who's dripping value, who's leaving little nuggets along the way and intriguing in messaging and doing all the things to make touches and connections and, and intriguing the buyer into thinking, huh. I, and then the, part of my philosophy when we're prospecting is we want to make the prospect feel like they're missing out if they don't talk to us. At least let's have a conversation. You're going to get so much value and so many ideas. Even if there's no next step, even if there's nothing in it for us, I want to meet you anyway because we're helping a lot of people that look a lot like you with issue A and issue B and issue C. And obviously in your ABC, you're listing out those issues that are probably relevant to them. So I would say early in the sales process, we don't give up. We're going to go six, seven, eight touches in a defined period of time. So we're earning, earning the callback, earning the discovery meeting. I think later on down the funnel, it really depends because then you've, you've qualified more and you really understand their situation and they may not be a fit because of their culture or their buying philosophy or the competitive landscape that you're playing in. And you can decide at some point, I'm going to pull the plug because this is taking way too many resources and I'm foolish to keep it in my pipeline because I'm deluding myself that this deal's ever going to come together. But it's hard because I don't think there's a hard and fast rule um, sometimes we quit too soon. I will tell you, I've got in my own career many times where a, a significant multi-million dollar client came from someone that took over a year of pursuit. You know, and it was something that the sales cycle could have been as short as is one to two months, but it took a lot of effort and a lot of wearing down and staying in like you know second position, hoping that the primary supplier would stub their toe, and eventually it happened. And because you kept pursuing and showed interest. You were the person in what I call position A when they were ready to make a change because you invested. And that goes, you know, and I'll just mm -hmm. circle back to what we talked about earlier. I think part of what's so dangerous when we're, when we're late to the party because we're living in reactive mode and we're not hustling is that they don't really know who we are. And by the time we get involved, it's really hard to bring value or be that trusted advisor because you weren't showing interest in them while you were sitting on your butt while they were shopping and researching. But if you were the one pursuing them while they were shopping or before they were shopping and researching, you have earned the right to kind of get to their table and speak into what they're doing. And they're more, much more likely to invite you back in to help them with that decision. So long answer, but there's, there's a lot to cover there.